Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Dennis Tian. This is the Dr. Football Podcast. Welcome. Welcome. You know, how this works is I usually record segments throughout the week and then I put them all together and try to publish on Saturday night or Sunday morning. And um, I had an opening segment recorded, obviously, and I was about to publish. But now with the news on this Sunday morning that the Patriots have another positive COVID test, an unnamed player in the facility, I think, you know, I decided to re-record because this is a big deal. And I think it says a lot. You know, if you listen to the podcast last week, you know, I I said the NFL was taking a big, big gamble by playing that game in Kansas City on Monday night. And that there was a chance that that works out and, and no one gets it and, and and everything's fine. But there was also a chance that this was going to lead to long-standing ramifications to the season and the schedule to other teams and, and potentially have serious implications to the future of the NFL schedule. And it was really going to come down to how adherent and how, how, how effective were the NFL safety protocols in, in the building for COVID-19 and how adherent people were to those and players and coaches and staff were to those protocols. Because once again, I have to put on my doctor hat and my public health hat in this situation and say that I was a little skeptical of some of these protocols from the beginning, going back to the summer. I thought there were some limitations to them. And one of the things that I think is so important to convey is that, first of all, if the virus aerosolizes, okay, it's not a true airborne virus, but, if, but it can aerosolize under the right conditions. And those are the kind of conditions that you would see in like an indoor facility, such as a training facility for a football team. You know, contained rooms, um, lots of talking, lots of people in close proximity, right environmental conditions, you know. If that happens, then the whole thing about six feet and mask wearing and social distancing, it kind of goes out the window. And then the second point is, how adherent are people to these things? Are you wearing your mask properly? You're not supposed to touch your mask. I mean, I was trained that if I put a mask on for airborne disease or a droplet disease for that matter, I didn't touch my face. And now I walk, I walk around and I see people pulling their mask up, pulling their mask down, reusing old masks, touching their face, touching their hands to the different things and touching their face again, up and down. It's not how it's supposed to work. So the NFL played that game on last Monday night. It was a vote of confidence in their protocols. It was a gamble on their protocols. And I'm not sure it was a wise one. And it's looking more and more like maybe it wasn't. But the real wild card in this whole thing is that if, if there was strict adherence to protocol, 
then maybe you could argue the odds are in your favor that things will work out. I mean, I don't expect lay people to understand why going to dinner with someone is such a high-risk situation for transmission of the virus. I don't expect lay people to understand that, but the NFL's medical people, they should understand that. And they knew that Stephon Gilmore sat right across from Cam Newton. And they went ahead with the game anyways. And to me, that tells you one thing that's very clear. Actions speak louder than words. They are not, they're finishing the season no matter what. If they have to shut the league down for a few weeks, if they have to reconfigure the schedule, if they have to, if no matter what they have to do, they're going to plow ahead and finish this thing. And they are not trying to create a zero risk environment for these players. It's very apparent. They're trying to create a low risk environment. They're trying to prevent outbreaks. They're not trying to totally, totally eliminate the spread. And I, one thing I can't figure out in this whole thing is, where is the players' union? How are they not up in arms? Because isn't this a safety issue for players and their families? I mean, yes, most of these players are young and healthy. And the odds of them having a bad outcome are probably, from almost all of them, not that great. Probably comparable to the risk of getting in the bus and driving to the stadium. Honestly. But they got families, they got kids, they got parents, they got sick family members and high-risk family members. And who wants to bring this into their home? So, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard to figure out why the players' union isn't making a stink about this. I feel like most unions not only in sports, but just in general, in life, would have major concerns about the way things are going. And then, of course, how is it fair to the Patriots competitively to ask them to play a game on Monday night, tomorrow night, now that we know that they can't practice? And whoever that COVID case was, that that they, they 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 identified today, and we don't know who it is yet. As of the time I record this, they practiced yesterday with a whole team. But I think what it's telling me is that the NFL protocols are good to slowing the spread, to controlling the spread. But what they're not good at is totally eliminating the spread, and this is going to continue to trickle through buildings once it gets in them. Because you can't have that many people in close proximity to each other and, and, and think it's going to work with, with, with surgical or cloth masking and that kind of prolonged close contact. There's going to be too many opportunities for things to slip through the cracks. So I'd be shocked if they play tomorrow night I mean, but I've been saying that the whole time and they keep plowing forward. And, and at this point, it's almost exploitative to the, 
the football team, to the Patriots, and to any of these teams. I mean, their health and safety, it, it, it seems like it's secondary. It really does. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a zealot about it, but, but it seems like it's secondary. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens this morning if they, if, they, if they cancel the game or if they don't. But, you know, the Patriots have their bye week next week. It's probably best just to shut the old operation down, give them the two weeks off, come back in about 10, 11, 12 days, flush it out of the building, and come back to the drawing board and hope for better luck the rest of the year. You know, I want to talk, obviously, a little about what actually happened on the field last week because uh, it was quite a week and quite a bit to talk about if you're a Patriots fan. It's a lot to talk about. Let me begin by saying this to everyone out there who's a Patriots fan, myself included. Welcome to how the other half lives. You just went from like the $10 million oceanfront 4,500 square foot mansion with like a you know chef's kitchen and a yoga studio. You just went from that to like the 300,000 square foot ranch that you can barely pay the mortgage on. That, that's, that's what happened. You know, when, when I brought my first daughter home, it was on a Friday. And it was so great because everyone came over, friends and family, all weekend long. And they helped us out. And they took care of the baby for us. And they helped support us. And it was such a nice transition. And then like it's Sunday at 7 o'clock, I'll never forget this. Last person left. And all of a sudden, my wife and I looked at each other and we were kind of like, oh, crap. It's just us. Because if you're a Patriots fan, last Monday night was your oh, crap moment. Oh, crap. Tom Brady's gone and he's never coming back. That's Brian Hoyer out there. This is real. And as I was watching that game on Monday night, Critical interconference matchup. Best team in the conference. Team you've competed with the last few years, right? The last two teams that won the Super Bowl. Playing in Kansas City. Stakes are high. I look up and I see Brian Hoyer is our quarterback. We've all been so fixated with the Tom Brady divorce. Have we really paused to sink in the reality that the Patriots have absolutely no succession plan at quarterback and that they are the Chicago Bears. They are the Cleveland Browns. They are the New York Jets when it comes to quarterback. There is no answer. That was the worst quarterback play I've seen from the Patriots game since pre-Drew Bledsoe. And that takes you back to the early 1990s. You know, I mean, we've got it all. There was an old saying. If you have three quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks, right? If you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks, is what the old saying was. Well, I think it applies to three, too. We got the aging veteran, won an MVP five years ago. Now he's injured. We're not sure if he can still do it or if he's even going to fit in here. We got the journeyman guy who we know isn't that good, but he's at least solid and everyone likes him and he's a locker room guy, but he's not that good. And then we got the mid-round guy that is a developmental guy that, yeah, he's got some talent, but there's reason why he wasn't a first-round pick. And maybe it turns into something, but probably not. 
Well, we got the whole, the whole catalog of like your lack of stability at quarter position, the whole diorama. We got it all. We've got all the major archetypes, right? We've got the the, the washed up veteran, the, the 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 journeyman, and the young guy that really wasn't that highly regarded, anyways. We got it all, and that means we have nothing. If you're a Patriots fan, and that reality sunk in, that reality sunk in. You know, a wise person once told me, don't run away from something, run to something. What did the Patriots run to? We know what they ran away from. They ran away from Brady. And perhaps with good reason, right? Brady's play was in decline. He was a 17th rated quarterback last year. I think he's an above average quarterback at best right now. I really do. Okay. He was a diva. He became full of his own nonsense the last few years. He was asking the organization to do things that only dysfunctional organizations would do. So I get it. It was time to move on. But what did you run to? Ran away from Brady. What did you run to? And the answer is, if Jared Stidham isn't the guy, then they ran away to nothing. And doesn't that make the whole offseason and the whole succession plan and the whole last couple years of personnel doesn't that make it an abject failure? Because you you knew this was coming. We all knew this was coming. They drafted Garoppolo in 14. And Brady got this like resurgence at the time. And we all know what happened there. And it just didn't work out timing-wise. But Garoppolo was traded over three years ago now. Where's the next guy after that? Where you know, your quarterback's 40, 41, 42. Got no contract. What's the plan? And the reality, the frightening reality is there was none. The Patriots didn't run to something. They ran away from something. And that usually never works. Now, I'm not giving up on Jared Stidham yet because I actually thought he showed some pop in his arm on on Monday night. And I thought that I don't know. I thought he showed a little bit of poise and he got a little bit of a tough break with Edelman, um, you know, um, dro- dropping that pass and leading to an interception. But he's got a lively arm. He's a smart guy. He's composed. He's well-spoken. I think one of the main goals or objectives from this year has to be, let's see what we have in Jared Stidham. Let's not keep him on the bench all year. If you have faith in this guy, you think he might be the guy, put him out there. This is your opportunity this week against Denver to put him out there, prepare him all week, get him in a good situation. Everyone's wondering, why isn't Jared Stidham on the field? Why did Newton beat him? And it's, it's just so simple. There's no conspiracy theory. It's not because his wife's on Instagram. It's not because he did something to piss someone off. They could still really like Jared Stidham. But the thing is, Cam Newton gave them a better chance in 2020 to be a good team. Clearly. And that's why. If, to make a transition to a guy like Stidham, you needed OTAs. You needed offseason. You needed mini camps. You needed training camps. You needed the preseason. So this guy could get some reps, get some experience. And you know what? When all that fell apart and it was clear you weren't going to have any of that, that's when Bill Belichick went and got Cam Newton on June 30th. Because he knew that Stidham needed all that to be ready. And he knew that Stidham probably wouldn't be ready. And that it will be a rough learning curve for Jared Stidham in 2020 without all that practice. So it doesn't mean Belichick doesn't like Stidham. 
at all. It just means that this is an unusual year. And they brought in Newton out of desperation. And it's kind of worked out. Now, I still think Newton has a lot to prove. And I love what I've seen from the guy. But I said that, made that clear last week. I'll stick by that. I need to see more from Newton before I say he's worth $25 million. Okay, He's set to throw the ball a little better. The Cam Newton of old could throw the ball. I, this Cam Newton I've seen, you know, it's been a little sporadic. So I need to see more from him before I say he's the guy. But let's face it. If you're going and picking up a guy on June 30th and getting lucky that he can play for you for a few years and make you competitive for a few years, guess what? You failed at the succession plan. You failed. Because the guy that you had the opportunity to develop, right, or you had the opportunity to develop a guy in your organization, and good quarterbacks come from all over the draft. Look at the 10 best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. There's late-round picks, there's mid-round picks, there's late first-round picks. You do not need to have Joe Burrow or Andrew Luck to develop a quarterback. Some of the best quarterbacks in football right now were taken later in the draft. Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers was a late first-round pick. Ben Roethlisberger, mid-first-round pick. Lamar Jackson, late first-round pick. Patrick Mahomes was number 11. There's opportunities there. So you like this guy, you bring him in, you develop him, and he's your guy. That's how it was supposed to go. And if it doesn't go that way, then it was a fail. It was a fail. So I personally would like to see Stidham this week because I think it's important this year to give him a shot because I kind of believe they still like him. Just didn't work out this year with the lack of offseason. So I hope they start Stidham. Take take this as an opportunity to go with Stidham. And let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Let's see what you got. I want to give a quick, couple quick observations about the game from last week before we move on to a few things around the league. Patriots outplayed the Chiefs on Monday night, in my opinion. They played harder. They played tougher. They played like they wanted the game. The Chiefs looked like they were out of it. They looked like they were lackadaisical. They looked like they didn't want to be there. For a team that went through what the Patriots went through, they looked like a team that actually wanted to be there. And they outplayed the Kansas City Chiefs, and they deserved to win that game. But how many times in the last 20 years have the Patriots been on the other side of that equation, where a team comes into Foxborough, And they play really well, okay, and it's close at halftime or they're losing at halftime. And Brady would just make so many plays and the Patriots would still find a way to win, even though the team they were playing played better and may have even been better. Because quarterback play is so important in the National Football League. And right now, on, on, on Monday night, the Patriots were on the other side of that equation. Patrick Mahomes is so much better than Brian Hoyer that it didn't matter that the Patriots outplayed the Chiefs in every other way and facet of the game. It was, it was irrelevant because when it came down to it, Mahomes was able to make enough plays to win the game. And that's how it goes. It's a league of haves and have-nots. And right now, 
the Patriots are one of the have-nots. And there's no no clear end in sight for when they'll become one of the haves. It might be years. It could be decades. Hopefully it won't be. But it's a great equalizer. And when Hoyer played that bad and Mahomes played that good, it, it's tough to make up that difference. Not even that good. He just he made enough plays to win. And it reminded me so much of a, of a Brady-Belichick win in Foxborough. We're just the talent that Brady had when he was in his prime was just so superior that they would win a lot of games, even if they didn't deserve to win them. And that's exactly what, what the Chiefs were. The Chiefs did not deserve to win that game. Now, that was a little bit of an unusual example Monday night because in addition to the Mahomes and Hoyer difference, a lot of things went the wrong way for the Patriots. There was a bad breaks across the board in that game, and, and it really should have been, even with the difference in quarterback play, it should have been a much closer game than it was. But just it just seemed like everything went wrong or all kinds of little breaks didn't go the Patriots' way right from the beginning. Terrible call in the grasp that took away a Patriots turnover. But you know what? It didn't cause the Patriots to lose. And this is why. It actually worked to their advantage. If you hear me out, I'll tell you why. Because the Patriots got the ball back at the 20-yard line after they that awful call that took away a turnover. And Calhoun, the man that picked up the fumble, he wasn't going to score. It looked like he was going to get tackled. Unless something crazy, fluky happens, he bowls over three, four guys, he's not getting in the end zone. So you're getting first and 10 at like the 15-yard line. And if you score a touchdown, the Patriots score a touchdown there, Mahomes still has like six, seven minutes to come back and answer you before half. And remember, games are, games are won and lost based on who scores before and after the half. Belichick's a master at that. Getting that last score in before the half and then getting the ball in the second half. And Mahomes would have had an ample opportunity to score if the Patriots had scored quickly there. What ended up happening is the Patriots ended up getting the ball at their own 20-yard line. And they drove on that possession the whole way up the field, and they killed the clock. Mahomes had no opportunity to answer that scoring chance for the Patriots. Patriots ended up with first and goal at the two-yard line. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better situation with 40 seconds left. Now, it's not, it's not, I mean, Hoyer pissed it away. That's what happened. You got to put the ball in there. You, if you score a touchdown there, and you take that 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 ten to six lead at halftime, and Mahomes has zero opportunity to answer to you, that's your best case scenario. So the damage done by that blown call was pretty much washed away by the fact that the Patriots were able to take that ball and slowly, methodically drive up the field. At the end of the day, from that sequence. They got a first and goal opportunity either way. Either way. The only difference was that they had 40 seconds on the clock for what happened versus if that turnover held, it would have been seven, six, seven minutes left on the clock and Mahomes has ample chance to answer. So I think it kind of worked to their advantage, but it was a terrible call. And then obviously the roughing a passer of Colin Mahomes was a terrible call in a critical spot. And there was a couple other bad ones. Dropped a bunch of passes, made a bunch of mistakes. Hard to win even with 
a, a franchise quarterback, let alone when, when you got Brian Hoyer, when you make those kind of mistakes. I will say, I'm willing to take a mea culpa on the defense. I don't know. I don't know what happened to that defense in Seattle a few weeks ago. But they've looked like a different team the last two weeks. And, and that's a good thing if, if you're a fan of the Patriots. That's a very good thing if you're a fan of the Patriots. Because that front seven was awful against Seattle. They looked great against Kansas City. Against a better offense, I would argue, on, on, Sunday, on Monday night. And, and, it, and it was impressive. It was an impressive performance. And on defense, that was an impressive performance. So I feel a lot better about their defense now than I did a few weeks ago. What did I say? The hallmark of a Belichick team, improving over the year. And that's what this team is doing on defense right now. Now, I'm recording this after the, the Tampa Bay-Chicago game on Thursday night. So... I want to give a couple. We got to talk about Brady, right? That's like we're going to talk about this all year long, and and there are going to be highs for Brady, and there are going to be highs for the Patriots. There are going to be lows. It's going to be like this all year. There's going to be this back and forth between Brady and Belichick, the Pats, the Buccaneers. I said it a few weeks ago, and I thought the same thing last night. This is going to be a lose-lose situation. Neither side is going to win. You know. It's, the Buccaneers are 3-2 and two now after losing, really, just an embarrassing game last night against the Bears. A game the Buccaneers really could have and, and probably should have won, but just couldn't get out of their own way enough. With, with just horrible penalties, and, and after penalty after penalty, that really thwarted them. And, and, and showed that they're really still not a very disciplined football team. And so they're three and two, and it's probably a good probability the Patriots will be three and two this week, because I don't think Denver is very good. And so we're going to be five weeks, almost a third of the way into the year. Pats are three and two, Buccaneers are three and two. They both had some high moments in the first five weeks and some low ones. And you know what? They would both be better off with each other. Tom Brady would be better off if he was still a New England Patriot. And if you didn't think that watching the game against the Bears last night, I mean, how could you not think that? Watching that team screw up. And Brady, you know, I've said, and even in this podcast, I said he's, he's an above-average quarterback now. But he looked great last Sunday against the Chargers. Well, the Chargers aren't very good. But even last night, you know, he's making me reconsider that take I'm not going to take back that he's that he's diminished because he is absolutely diminished and, and and you can see that last night on some of those deep passes that his ball used to just have so much pop and velocity and accuracy on on, on some of those downfield throws and, and it's just not there consistently anymore and he misses enough of them and and frankly that might have been the difference in the game last night was was the fact that it, in spite of it all Brady hits a couple of those downfield passes. The Tom Brady of 2016 or 17 was hitting still. If he hits a couple of those passes, then then the Buccaneers probably score another touchdown at some point, and they win that game. But, you know, he may be better 
than I'm giving him credit for. He looked better. He looked good, especially at the start of the game last night. But he's not the same player he was a few years ago. That's one I won't go back on. I mean, he was a 10 in 2017. And now he's like somewhere between a 6 to an 8. And I'm still trying to figure out where. Because there's just so many wheels in motion. You know, he's got he's got an undisciplined team. Maybe not the best coaching staff. I mean, and then and then he's got more talent around him now. And there was not a lot of talent last year. And his heart really wasn't in it last year with the Patriots. And so, you know, all these kind of factors are going in. And I'm still trying to get a sense of, like, where I think the player is compared to where he was. But I, but I feel safe to say he, he is diminished. And, and I feel still safe to say that, that he's a quarterback that that you can win with in the NFL if you have the right operation. And he had a much better chance of having that kind of operation around him here in New England than he than he would have in Tampa than he does in Tampa Bay. And I don't care who's playing receiver because it's not always about that. I, mean, I think that's one of the least important things. I mean, there's a reason why Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick and and so many of these other great football minds de-emphasize that position. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying that truly generational players like Randy Moss, he changes every game he played in. Those guys don't come around that often. Receivers that change the game like that, it's few and far between. Few and far between. So Brady having all these great skill position players in Tampa Bay, I mean, you saw last night, it doesn't matter if you can't, you know, snap the ball correctly if you if you can't not take holding penalties or personal foul penalties when it counts if you can't you know be in sync and, and make and make and play like a team and execute you can't do that it really kind of neutralizes skill position talent and that's where that's where Brady is right now. He, he's in a bad operation. He's in a dysfunctional franchise. And, and and I don't think he's good enough player right now to overcome that dysfunction. But as I was watching the game last night, I, I was kind of thinking to myself, you know what? I'm not even sure that Brady of five years ago would be a good enough player to, to overcome the dysfunction because I'm not sure any quarterback, any one player on a 53-man roster can overcome a franchise that is that undisciplined. A team that is that undisciplined. So it's three and two, three and two, probably five weeks in, and, and it's a stalemate. It, it's going to continue to be a stalemate. This is going to be lose lose. When we look back this year, we're going to be able to say that Brady would have been better off with the Patriots, and the Patriots would have been better off with Brady. But rest assured, this week was really the perfect embodiment of the Belichick-Brady divorce, right? If if Tom Brady had Bill Belichick as his coach on Thursday night, then, the, then he wins that game. And if Bill Belichick had Tom Brady as his quarterback last Monday night, then he wins that game. And that really is perfectly symbolic of, of this divorce. And what it's gonna, and what it's gonna, what its ramifications are gonna be. Now, one final observation about the, the game on Thursday night with the Bears and the Bucks, and Brady really showed a level of he 
And Brady showed a level on Thursday night of frustration on the sideline. I mean, you know, he is he he was never one to yell at his teammates until the last couple of years. And last night, I'm not sure I've ever seen him yell that much. I mean, he's yelled a little bit the last few seasons out of frustration. I'm not sure he's ever, ever yelled as much as I saw him last night. And to me, he looked like a guy that deep down inside has a lot of remorse and a lot of frustration about where he is right now. And that's just my guess. I mean, I have no specific idea, but you're the new guy in town, Tom. You can't go in there and berate these guys and humiliate them and embarrass them because they blow a blocking assignment or, 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 or run a bad route or take a penalty, even if it's wrong. Let the coaches do that. You're, you're the new teammate. How do you think that's going to go over in Tampa Bay's locker room when Brady, who made plenty of mistakes of his own last night, missed many throws, even though at times he did look crisp. He missed plenty of throws last night. How's that going to go over when you berate that guard that's been there three years and you've been there for, 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 for six months? I mean, I don't think that's going to go over very well. I really don't. Tommy just looks like he's frustrated. He brought a lot of the same passive-aggressive negativity that he had the last few years in New England with him to Tampa Bay. And I think this guy, as much as I love him, I think existentially, there's a little bit of turmoil there, like around around his continuing choice to continue playing. I wonder if deep down inside, it's hard for him to give the game up. But at the same time, Maybe he knows it. Maybe he knows on some level it, it is time to give it up. And maybe, maybe that's really what is going to come from this year it, is that Brady's going to kind of have an up and down year in Tampa and walk away at the end of it and, and finally come to grips with the reality that he can't play forever. I mean, I, I almost sometimes I feel bad for him, even though I'm, I'm kind of rooting against him. And, and I think as the year goes on, if we see more. In the next 10, 11 weeks of what we saw last night, my my, my feelings are going to move more from rooting against Brady to, to really feeling bad for him. Because he he put himself maybe in a, in a less than ideal situation or a worse situation for the wrong reasons. And, and he's trying to hang on to something maybe that just isn't there anymore. And, and, and if it's going to be a thing where you know, yelling at teammates and forgetting the downs and making mental mistakes he never made before and sloppy, undisciplined play and lots of pushing and fighting. And I mean, it, it could be, it could be an ugly finish. It, it, you know, I, I've always said Brady's going to have moments with Tampa Bay. He's definitely going to have moments uh, uh, where, where things look really good. You saw one last week against the Chargers. Great comeback. Looked amazing. Looked like the Brady of old or somewhat like it. But it's a long season. And and there are a lot of problems on that team. A couple of my quick hit thoughts around the league. And I'll be quick because we're running out of time here. Um, Buffalo Bills look like a wagon this year. And I think in the last, like, 17 or 18 starts he's had, 
Josh Allen is throwing 30 touchdowns and three interceptions. It's a quarterback-driven league. And guess what? It looks like they have the best quarterback in the division right now. And I think that's why they're going to be, most likely, the dominant team in the division for the foreseeable future. Unless the Patriots get really lucky here. Uh, the Browns all of a sudden, out of nowhere, are 3-1. and one, And they're doing it with some pretty solid play from Baker Mayfield. Seven touchdowns, two picks, 94 quarterback rating. Okay, it's not Joe Montana, but it's better. They got a tough game this week against a sneaky good Indianapolis team. I like the Colts this weekend. They're a physical team. Stop the run well, which is the Browns' biggest strength. Uh, I think it'll be a tough competitive game, but I like the Colts to bounce back after a loss in Chicago. Um... Cardinals, Arizona. Did I nail that one last week or what? It just seemed too good to be true in Carolina against the hapless Carolina team. And they got absolutely shellacked. Never win it. I don't know why they're seven-point favorites against the Jets this week. Perhaps that speaks to how pathetic the Jets are. Joe Flacco getting the start. Sam Donald can't seem to stay on the field. Another reason why you have to be skeptical of him. Of course, other side of the coin, maybe if you put him in a better team with better protection, he wouldn't have all these problems. Packers are 17-3 and in their last 20 regular season games. Think about that. They're the real deal. Matt LaFleur looks like he's doing another good coaching job and you know, I never really took them seriously last year. If you listen to the podcast, I said I kind of felt like they were soft at 13-3 and three as, as a record that great could be. But I'll tell you right now, they're making a believer out of me. And Aaron Rodgers is playing great. He's a little cocky, but I, I think if anyone has the right to be, it's him. And then who's going to be the next coach fired, right? We got the first coach fired last week. It was Bill O'Brien. Kind of a surprise. Bad start, but there are worse coaches in the NFL than... Bill O'Brien, but I think it's going to be between Dan Quinn, uh, Matt Patricia, and Adam Gase. And to me, it's looking like I just have a feeling it's going to be Matt Patricia. I think unless that team turns around quick, um, they, they, are, they are on the fast track to nowhere. And it looks like the Matt Patricia experiment has been an abject failure in Detroit. Well, all right, that's all the time we have. We spent so much time talking about COVID, talking about the Pats, talking about Brady and Belichick and the Buccaneers. And we're going to keep doing this every week. It's great theater. It's entertainment at the end of the day. Thank you very much, anyone who might have listened. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a great day. And we will um, check in next week with another edition of the Dr. Football Podcast. Have a great weekend, everyone.